Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Lavernia Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about what you hear, or if you would like to speak with one of our pastors, you can find all of our contact information at www.fbclv.com. A few weeks ago, my family was able to go on vacation. I think this was our fourth time to attempt this trip, and we spent a few days in Maui, Hawaii. It was a great week, made a lot of memories. If you've never been there before, everything in Maui looks like a postcard. It's just beautiful. And so on Sunday morning, we were able to get up and worship at the local Baptist church. So let me give you an encouragement today. When you go on vacation, when you go out of town, find somewhere to gather with believers and worship with them. I promise you won't regret it. It's you may experience or hear or see something you've never experienced, seen, or heard before. That can be positive or that can be memorable. Most of the time, you'll walk away maybe with something that was really neat that they did. You can come back and share with us and say, hey, I really like this, how they did this, and maybe it's something we can try here. Or it will give you a new appreciation for your home church when you come back. But when you're out of town, don't skip out. Find somewhere to go and to worship. So we walked up that day, and I had a few questions because I'd never been there before. So first we had to find where to go because it wasn't just really obvious where the building was and the worship center. So we kind of walked around, and then we came around a corner, and we could see the sanctuary area. We could see the stage, and we could see some people sitting inside, and we could see all of this because the church didn't have any walls, as in it was wide open air where they were worshiping at. And I walked in and I just thought to myself, I wonder what it would look like if we had no air conditioning and no walls back in Lavernia in July. I'm pretty sure we would have record online attendance, right? (laughs) I know some of y'all are going, oh, I grew up in the tent church, right? We met outside, but how about today? Are you still willing to do that? So no AC, just some fans, open air, because the weather's nice. We get to sit down and we visit with the pastor for a moment, because it was a very small church. And he's the interim pastor there, and he told us that 50 to 70% of their weekly attenders are one-time visitors. So you can imagine half the people in this room you would never see again, and it's that way every Sunday because they're on vacation, so they come to church, and then maybe they come back five, 10 years later, but every week it's that many, at least half the church's visitors. And I had all these questions going through my mind, like, what does ministry look like when half your church never comes back every week? How do you do Bible study? How do you do discipleship? Do you focus more on outreach and evangelism because you're only gonna see them one time, maybe never again? Do you have to have two separate ministries, one at the condo down the road and then one here for your local folks? Where do you do baptism at a church in Hawaii? Can you do it like in a little trough or in a baptistry or do you go to the ocean? What about the Lord's Supper? Do you have coconut water for the juice? And do you use Hawaiian bread? For the body. So I had all these questions about that day that I did not get answered. And so today we're going to continue our series called Seven, looking at the seven letters to the seven churches. And we're going to look at three questions specifically that we have about the church we're going to look at today, Theatira. And these are three questions that we need to ask ourselves as well. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2 today. We're going to look at verses 18. Through 29, three questions we can ask about this church, Theatira. Three questions we have to ask ourselves. Revelations 2, 
Question number one, what is your motivation? Not too long ago, I ordered some rubber seal from the Amazon. It was not very expensive, maybe $9. And when I opened up the package, it said, this comes with a free gift. Well, I don't expect a whole lot from a free gift because usually it's like, here's a sticker, right, to promote our product. But when I opened up the package, it had the rubber seal, and inside it had a free pair of wire cutters. Now, that's not a cheap thing, so I was really surprised. And the question that I had in my mind is, what is their motivation for giving away such a nice gift as a pair of wire cutters? Because it wasn't something cheap, not something expensive. Wire cutters cost some money. And so I went to use these wire cutters, and then this is what happened on my third snip. They done did broke in half. So I've been referring to these as my Rice Krispie wire cutters because they snap, crackled, and then they popped. Three snips, one, two, and this was not like I'm trying to cut concrete or rebar. It was soft rubber, and on my third snip, they broke in half. I've never had a pair of wire cutters break in half in my entire life. So I know the motivation of why they sent these to me. They're trash. That's why they sent them. I'd have paid three extra dollars not for them to send them to me because the frustration that they brought upon in my life. What's your motivation for sending me this free gift? Oh, because it's terrible and we don't want them no more. Now I understand. What's your motivation as a church? What's your motivation as a believer? So we begin today. Revelations 2, verse 18. And to the angel, the church of Theatera. Now, if it was just me reading this by myself, I would say to the church of Thyatira, but I got some smart folks that give me these audible things that tell me. Theatera is this. What is their, no, to the angel of the church of Theatera, right. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. So to the angel, the same address we've seen in every letter, this could mean the literal angel that God has assigned to this church. It could be to the messenger who's gonna deliver it. It could be to the elder bishop or the pastor of that fellowship. To the angel of the church of Theatra, so we know who he's writing to. This is the smallest church that we've looked at so far. It's probably the most insignificant as far as we don't know a whole lot about it, and yet this is the longest letter of all the seven letters. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. Now when I read that, I think to myself, there must be something here that God is trying to tell us or else he wouldn't use these descriptive terms. And we have to be fully aware that in scripture, some of these words are very literal, others are more figurative, and we have to determine which one that they are. The best way to do that is to use a good context. Who is writing, who are they writing to, what is the subject, and always look at the words and then compare it with Scripture as a whole because Scripture does not contradict itself. So is this literal or is this figurative? And so there's always opinions about what this means, fiery eyes. Some say it's just a picture of the holiness and the power of God, and that would apply. Others say it's a picture that the people in this church and in this area, they worshiped Apollo, the sun god, and so saying God has eyes of fire to show them that truly he is the most powerful. Others will say it's a physical appearance or characteristic. Most people that I read say it's a picture that Jesus 
sees all things. That which is hidden to the eyes of man is not hidden into the eyes of God. This reminds me that we as a people are very good at hiding things from the world. And so this morning you walked in and most of you, if not all of you, had a big old smile on your face. Many of you shook my hand and gave me a hug and maybe I asked, how are you today? And you said, I am doing great. Better than I deserve. And you lied right to my face. And I'm not mad, I'm not upset because I've done the same thing where you shake somebody's hand, you smile and say, man, life is wonderful. On the inside, you feel like you're dying because you're so upset or you're so hurt or you just feel so lost and overwhelmed. But we're really good at hiding it because we put on a big smile and face and we can fool everybody in here. But you can't fool God. He knows exactly what you're walking through. And there's other times that we do things behind closed doors at our home or maybe at our workplace. There are things that we think, there are thoughts that we have that we think, well, it looks like I got away with it because nobody else knows what I did and nobody else knows what I thought. And I'm here to tell you today, God knows exactly what you did and God knows exactly what you thought because he sees and knows all things. So this verse is just an intro verse, but it reminds us in this life, we ought to have a very good motivation for being honest, transparent, obedient, and holy. And that motivation is this. You can't hide anything from God. John says he has feet like burnished bronze. The picture of fire, hot, glowing feet. These people worked with bronze, so they knew what that looked like. It's a picture that the resurrected Savior, he has power over all his enemies to trample them, and he is able to judge and hold us accountable. Judge us for what? Revelations 2, 19. I know your works, your love and faith, service, patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. So just as he's done in almost every letter, he gives them something to commend them on. Here's what you're doing really well. And then he calls them out on something else. And in the first letter to the church of Ephesus, he commends them and says, listen, you're doing great at sticking true to scripture. You're doing great at knowing doctrine. You are doing unbelievably well at making sure there is no false teaching going on in your church. But you've lost your first love. You're not loving each other the way that you used to. The church at Theatira is exactly the opposite. He goes, here's what you're doing really good. You are loving each other like nobody's business, but you have not been holding true to scripture. You have been allowing false teaching to be in your midst, and so it's just the opposite of what Ephesus did. They were really great in making sure there's no false teaching and scripture was true in their church, but they weren't loving each other. You're loving each other, but you're allowing false teaching to be right in your midst and not doing anything about it. What this reminds me of is that the church must never let down its guard. That we can't just be good at one thing and not be good at all the other things. He says, his eyes are fire. He has feet like burnished bronze. He is going to hold you accountable as a church, so you have to know how to make sure false teaching is not being taught in this church. 
You have to know what is right and wrong, what is yes and what is no, what is darkness and what is light, but you also have to love each other well. One day last week, my wife asked me to look something up. I don't have a lot of skills in this life, but looking up things on my phone, I'm really good at that. So she goes, I just looked at something, no problem. I'm looking it up. And about four seconds later, she goes, I need you to look this up, something totally different. And so I looked at her, I go, babe, I can look up this or I can look up that, but I can't look them both up at the same time. It has to be one or the other. We don't have a one or other choice as a church here. We can't say, okay, well, listen, we're either gonna make sure that we know the scriptures and there's no false teaching or we're gonna love well. It's one or the other. It's not, it's always both. As a church, we have to have both. Our motivation is that God is going to hold us accountable. And if we don't choose both, we're gonna fall. Question number two, where is your mistake? When we bought our home, there's a two-car garage that the previous owners had closed in to make like a bonus room. And so in that room, we have a couch and a TV and you know some game things out there. And we have our old refrigerator. It's probably 20 years old. We only put drinks in that refrigerator and we have a really clever name that we gave to it. We call it, wait for this, the drink fridge. You can use that if you want to. So as I walked through this room to get to my truck to come to church, it was early one morning, I walked out there, and here is what I saw in the drink fridge. That door was left wide open, and everything inside was warm as can be. So everybody was still asleep at the house, so I closed the door and went on to work. Later that evening, I asked my son, because he spends the most time in that room. I said, Sam, did you get something to drink last night before you went to bed? Yes, sir. Did you close the door after you got that drink? Yes, sir. Okay. Ask my daughter. Babe, did you get something to drink last night before you went to bed? No. Are you sure? Totally sure. Ask my wife. Babe, did you get something to drink? I knew she didn't because she don't drink anything out of this fridge. She never goes out there. So it wasn't her. It wasn't me because I didn't get anything out of there either. So nobody in my family opened this door and left it open. So either one of our dogs or our cat or one of the two goldfish apparently opened up this door and they left it open all night long because nobody in the house did it. Somebody made a mistake. We just don't know who made that mistake. What's the mistake that we address here in this church that God is so concerned about? Verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I have this against you. We've used that phrase in our life. When someone's done something to hurt you, maybe to hurt somebody that you love, you say, I'm holding this against you. I'm not forgiving. Maybe a side note of encouragement for you today. If you're holding something against someone, you need to stop and you need to forgive them. Because so many times, here's our issue. We said, no, I can't forgive someone who's done something bad to me or to my family. Because if I forgive them, that means that what they did is okay. That's not true. It just means that you're following scripture and that you're showing grace. As God shows grace, you have to forgive them. Now, with that, let me tell you, that does not mean they have to be your best friend. It does not mean you have to invite them to move into your house. You don't have to share your ramen noodles with them. You have to not hold anything against them, 
You have to forgive them. And if they need something, you have to provide that need. But it is true that once people hurt us, and we see this in Scripture, it's okay to walk away from that person, but don't harbor that hatred because it's not hurting them. So often you think, well, as long as I'm mad and upset, then they're gonna be miserable. They don't care that you're mad and upset. It only hurts you. I have this against you, this woman Jezebel. Not the same Jezebel who was married to Ahab and promoted worshiping Baal, but a Jezebel-type woman. Her name may not have been Jezebel. She was a Jezebel. She is promoting right there in your midst sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. And both of these things are forbidden. You know that. You have known that. It's always been true. And yet she's doing it right there in the midst of the church. She set up a booth over there on the side saying, hey, come to the front, sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. And you don't even care. You haven't done anything about it. She's right there in your midst. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. She's been warned, and you've been warned. She knows what she's doing is wrong, and she doesn't care. You know somebody like that? Somebody in your life that you can see is walking down a path in the valley of the shadow of, the valley of, the shadow of death, and you can see it plain as day. And maybe you've even tried to talk to them saying, listen, I don't know what's going on, but where you're at is not where God wants you to be and they don't care. They're not changing. They're gonna do whatever they want, however they wanna do it, whenever they wanna do it, and nobody can control them. I'll do what I wanna do. And maybe you know somebody like that, or maybe you are the somebody that's like that. And Jesus says here, repent. This is not the path that you wanna choose in your life. Take heed to this warning, verse 22. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. All the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and the heart. I will give to each of you according to your works. I'll put her on a sick bed. If it's the bed that she wants to use for immorality, then I'll put her on there in a place of tribulation and sickness and hurt and pain like she can't imagine. Her children will die. This is not a generational curse scripture. This is not saying that her kids are gonna pay for what she's done. This is saying her children, those who are following her into this path of sinfulness, sexual immorality, and eating this food sacrifice to idols, they're gonna suffer greatly unless they choose to repent. What the Lord reminds me of in this verse is that I'm so thankful that we serve a God of second chances and we serve a God who gives us the opportunity to repent and there will be times in your life that you will choose disobedience and you will feel the fall from that immediately. But there'll be other times that you choose to walk away or you choose to not do what God asked you to do or you chose not to do what God told you to do. Remember, sin is either doing something that God said you shouldn't or not doing something God said you should. And you're not gonna feel anything in that moment. Maybe you feel some conviction, but maybe you don't see any repercussions. And you start to think to yourself, well, maybe God didn't notice. Maybe God didn't even see. Maybe God is so busy doing everything else in the world, I just slid that one right by, just like when mama said, don't eat dessert before dinner, but I snuck two cookies and she had no idea. God didn't miss it. God saw exactly what happened. 
Instead, maybe he has given you time to repent or he's showing you grace for your heart to be changed so that you'll make it right. Second thing I see here in this verse is that living as oxymorons is not an option. Oxymoron, two words right to put together don't make sense. A jumbo shrimp. Yesterday we were driving through town. There's five million cars all around the den, the post office, that area. And I guess they were having a fun run. Those words don't go together. <laughs> Not in my book. Maybe you're like, oh, that's fun. More like death run. I don't want to be out there doing that. Two things to go there, it's a picture. And so he says, you're trying to live this oxymoronic lifestyle. It doesn't work that way. So in Ephesus, you would say, hey, we are doing a great job. There's no false teaching here. Excellent. But we don't love each other so good. Mm, don't work that way. Theatro would say, we are loving each other like nobody's business. We are all in. We is family. But we allow false teaching in the church. Sexual morality, a little bit of food and dials. Eh, not so bad. It doesn't work that way. So here's a great quote by Warren Wearsby. I love this. Unloving orthodox and loving compromise are both hateful to God. Okay, so very slowly. Unloving orthodox. You've got the scriptures right. You know what the Bible says. There's no false teaching, but you're not loving. And loving compromise. You're loving very well, but you're compromising the truth of Scripture and allowing sin and disobedience in your church. Both are hateful to God. What's that mean? It means that you can't love well enough for sin still not to be despicable and disobedient. It means you can't follow Scripture close enough to make sure there's no false teaching in your church to where you are exempt from having to love others and love God. It doesn't work that way. So this is their mistake. And so God might ask you today, where is your mistake? What are you trying to hold on to or leave out that God so clearly says you need to put priority on? Where are you messing up? Is it a sin, sexual immorality, jealousy, hatred, unforgiveness? Complacency, idolatry, theft, false teaching, not loving enough. He says, now's the time that you have to answer this question. What is God's main concern with how you're living? If God had to say, here's the mistake that I see. You're doing lots of things well, but here's where you're really struggling. It's time to change. Number three, when is your moment? Verse 24, but to the rest of you at Theatra who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the depth, the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. So there's two types of believers in this church. He says, one of you, you've done really well at loving each other, but obviously you're following this woman's path, this Jezebel, who says it's totally okay to be sexually immoral. It's totally okay to eat the food sacrifice idols. Neither of things are okay, will be okay, or have ever been okay, but you're choosing to live that way anyway. That's one group. He says, the other group, the rest of you, you're not doing that. You're holding true to Scripture and you're loving each other well, and so for you, here's what you have got to do. Verse 25. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, 
To him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earth and pots are broken to pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hold fast. Don't be shaken. Keep the faith. For the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, they'll see the victory. They'll see the morning star, Jesus Christ himself. They will watch as they destroy clay pots so easily broken by the burnished bronze feet. Do not fear. Do not falter. Do not give up. Do not give in, but hold fast. There's a beautiful song that says, he will hold me fast, and these are the words, when I fear that my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for love is often cold, so he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast until our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He says, if you're in the group that's holding on, he says, don't be tempted by the sins of the world. Don't be tempted by disobedience. Stay true to scripture and true to loving God and loving others and hold fast because he's coming back. One day this week, I had a funeral to go to and I was in my office, and I got my tie out to put it on. And I've been tying ties for probably 25 years. I'm not a tie-tying expert, but I know how to tie ties one way. And so I put this on and started to wrap it around. And all of a sudden, my mind just went blank. I thought, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I kept on doing it. And I try to go from memory, right? This is not working. So I started having a panic a little bit, thinking, I'm fixing to go to a funeral without a tie because I can't remember. I'm going to have to watch a YouTube video. And I just kept tying, and I kept trying. And no matter what I did, it would not tie. And so here lately, since I had the COVID, you know, about four, six weeks ago, I've been saying it must be the COVID brain. It took that part out. I don't remember how to do this. And the problem for me was I had my tie on the wrong way. So I only know how to tie a tie one way. And to do it that one way, the long side has to be on the left, and it was on the right side. And so then once I got things where they needed to be, it all came back into place, and then I was able to tie the tie. But I was trying to do it the wrong way. And maybe you've been trying to live life the wrong way. And so God asks you these three questions today to show you the right way. What is your motivation to hold fast? What is your motivation to live in obedience? What is your motivation to repent? 
and I pray and I hope is that your motivation is the good news that God sent his one and only son in the flesh to die and pay the price for your sins. He will give you the strength to hold fast, but he will also hold us accountable for our choices. What is your mistake? Where is the sin that so easily tangles and holds you back? What is the lie that you keep believing, the addiction that keeps you from knowing and walking with Jesus? When is gonna be your moment? Truth is, today is a gift. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Will today be the day? Will this hour be the moment that you finally surrender your all to him?